1: Go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. The word means beginning. So it's a good thing that we named it the beginning because it is at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter one. And all we are going to do is look at verse one for our time here. I'm going to be talking about creational authority. So I'll explain that as we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read that. Um, These are the words of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and God, we have gathered here to give glory to you through the Son, who came to rescue us from the plight of sin. We honor you in our time here today and ask that your spirit would give us understanding and illumination. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. 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 Good deal. So the theme of the conference is all authority, and I have pretty much built all of my lectures around that idea of authority, that concept of authority, as have my brothers here as well. And each one, each one of my particular lectures uh, is going to take a carefully nuanced position on the issue of authority as it pertains to various sections of the Bible. So I see that many of you have your pens and paper, please do write questions down so that you don't forget to ask them later because there will be an opportunity for you to do so. So make sure you write those questions down. And what I'm going to do, and I'm sure the same will be said for others, but I can only speak for myself, uh, this will be very much like attending a Bible college in America. So I'm going to give you a lot of information, a lot of things to consider, to challenge you in ways that um, you know you wouldn't necessarily have on, on a typical Sunday. So please do write those notes down as, as we go. So what I want to do is teach to you covenant theology, so that no matter where you go in the Bible, you can see traces of God's covenantal dealings uh, with man. And thus, hopefully, you will be more equipped to impact the world around you. So that's the goal. We want to give you knowledge, but not just so that you can feel good about yourself. We want you to know these things so that you can do them, essentially. What does is, what is James tell us, right? You have to be doers of the word, not merely hearers only. So each, each talk is gonna sort of build on the other. Now, before we dig into the first verse of the Bible, I wanna make a few things clear, and I wanna make sure that we're all working from the same presupposition, uh, the same starting point, the same foundation. One of the things that the Bible teaches all throughout is this concept of God's Word being our authority. God's Word is our authority. Um, The Bible is my authority. The Bible is your authority. um, The Bible is our authority together because in it, the Holy Spirit of God communicates to us, you know, through God's servants like the Apostle Paul and others, that which is necessary for life and doctrine. The Bible teaches you about life and doctrine. Doctrine. Right? Not just what to think and what to know about God and his world, but how to live in God's world, the way that he intends for you to live. So God's word is entirely authoritative. And that, you know, obviously it's being authoritative. That presupposes that it comes from God and God is authority. God is himself authority. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. You know that verse? All Scripture is theopneustos in Greek. It's breathed out by God. God gives it to us. Jesus himself, he prays to the Father in John 17.17. He says that he asked the Father, do you remember? He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Right now, notice that Jesus didn't say, Father, sanctify them in truth because your word contains truth. Mm -hmm. Nor did he say your word might have true things to say. No, Jesus said your word is truth. God's word is truth. And as we'll see, truth and authority are two things that are intertwined together. They go together. Now the reason that this is important is because without this foundation in place, anything that we build on it will be thus susceptible to damage, right? So no one, no one builds a house starting with the roof, right? You can't do it. So we have to have the foundation in place as we build this so that it won't fall, If we're going to talk about authority and how the Bible frames authority, we're going to have to be careful to make sure that we absolutely start from the very beginning, which is to say, listen carefully, if we do not start with the creator God, the triune God, as revealed to us in his fully and finally authoritative self-revelation, that's the Bible, right? God reveals himself to us. If we don't start with there, we have no justifiable reason for believing anything. Do you hear me? We don't have any justifiable reason. If we don't start with God, if we don't start with his word, which is his revelation, we have no justifiable reason for believing anything. In other words, true knowledge, true knowledge must begin with the God of infinite knowledge. Come on. Do you understand? True knowledge. How do you know that you are sitting in the seat that you're in? Well, you assume things like gravity, right? Because none of you are floating in the air. You are seated. Yeah. So we know that. We're experiencing that because we can't not experience We're in God's world, right? You, you have to play by God's rules, Okay, I I have three kids. Uh, My oldest is Elijah. He's 10. I have a daughter, Avery. She's six. And my my youngest son, Nathan, is five. Now, let me tell you, I never had to teach them how to say no. Right? They just sort of know that. (laughs) When daddy says, you need to clean your room... No, well, now we have a problem, (laughs) right? This is my house. You do what I say, right? And that's not an unreasonable request to clean your room. Same thing. We are in God's house and not just this building. We are in God's house that he's been building since creation. This world is God's house. So we play by his rules. So true knowledge has to begin with God. Knowing anything has to begin with God. Nothing in this world is in a position of neutrality. Do you know what neutrality is? Neutrality is this idea that there's this gray area, right? That, that there are some things that the Jesus doesn't care about, so we don't have to worry about it because it's sort of in the middle. It's neutral. What happens when you put your car in neutral? You don't go anywhere, right? Okay, it's that idea of just sort of non-moving. We're we're just there. We're situated. Nothing is neutral in God's world. And every single person here and every single person that you talk to each and every day has a worldview. Now, what's a worldview? You may want to write this down. I'll go slowly and repeat myself just to make sure that you get it. What is a worldview? Here is what a worldview is. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths. A collection of presupposed truths through which... through which we fit everything we believe. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths through which we fit everything we believe, through which we fit everything we believe, and by which... We interpret and discern the world, and by which we interpret and discern the world and everything in the world. I'll say that again. A worldview is a collection of presupposed truths through which we fit everything we believe, and by which we interpret and discern the world. And everything in the world. So here's what I'm arguing. Either we start with God for everything we discuss. I don't care if it's politics, yeah. it does not matter. Business. Business, economics, money, quacha. I love that word, <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Quacha, M. <laughs> <laughs> So either we start with God, or we start with man. That, those are the only options. Anytime you discuss anything, the family, the role of a father in a home, a mother, children, how we treat children, how we educate children, doesn't matter what it is. If we don't start with God, we will by nature and by default start with man, and then we have other problems. So, if you don't start with God, you inevitably end up stuck in a ditch, unable to go anywhere, because here's why man is a creature. Man is not the creator. Man is not the creator of all things. And let me tell you any worldview that's out there, any false religion from the cults, you name it, you're going to run into this issue. Are they starting with the creator and the creature? and then working from there, or are they simply starting from the creature, the man? So there are only two worldviews. There are only two worldviews. There's Christian, and there's non-Christian. That's it. You have the Christian worldview, which is found in scripture, or you have the non-Christian worldview. And only one is ultimately true, and only one gives you everything you need to make sense of the world. So again, if you don't start with God, the triune true God of the Bible, the Jesus is alive God, that, that God, if you don't start with him, you cannot make sense of anything in this world. So that's why this whole conference has to start with God and his word. That's the foundation. This is the foundation that Jesus said that we should build our house on. Do you remember Jesus saying that? Build your house on the rock. He is the rock. His word is the the truth. The rock of Christ and his word. That's what we build it on. So we know now that the Bible is our starting point. You agree? We start there. That's the foundation of the house. The Holy Scriptures, we start there. That's the foundation. So we are to build everything, our families, our lives, our churches, our governments, our businesses. We are to build all of that on its truth because God has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself to us, and this is his word to man. Now, uh, one famous theologian, John Calvin, said around the uh, 16th century, uh, he, he said that God basically stooped down and spoke baby talk to us. You know, the goo goo gaga. <laughs> that God is so big and we are so simple that he had to descend to speak to us. So there are only those two worldviews. Now, what is the issue of authority? What does authority mean? Because we're, ha- we're talking about it at this conference. We probably should define it so that we know what authority means. How should we think about authority, especially as it pertains to God? This is where our text comes in. Let's read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth. I need to ask a question. What is the purpose of creation? You're walking around the showgrounds, right, and someone walks up to you. What is the purpose of creation? What would you say? Mulishani, right, they greet you. What is the purpose of creation? Why did God create everything? Why why does the Bible start here? What's the point of that? What would your answer be? I'll tell you what the answer is, because it's in the Bible. The Bible says that in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth. The answer is found, and you don't have to turn here. You can just listen. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. You can write it down. Revelation 4, verse 11. Here's what it says. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is he worthy? He continues. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So what's the purpose of creation? The answer is this. The purpose of creation is to be a means to God carrying out His will. Come on. The purpose of creation is to be a means of carrying out God's will. Creation exists because God wants it to exist, and He wants it to exist in a, in a manner that is consistent with who He is. It's that simple. So God has the authority to determine that creation achieve that which God wants to achieve. Right? So in the beginning, God created. All that is because God intends for it to happen. Isaiah 43, 7. You should write that verse and and, and know that verse. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory... Whom I have formed, even whom I have made. So that's the purpose of creation. It's to carry out God's will for God's glory. You were created for God's glory. So that's the purpose. So tell your friend or tell the the random stranger at the show when he asks you. No one's going to ask you, by the way. But if they did, that's what you would say. Creation is for God's glory in God's will. It's that simple. Now, why do I bring this up here? When we speak of authority, we have to ensure that we are all working from the same definition, right? Otherwise, communication breaks down. Um, I already can't say my Zambian name correctly. Mutale? Okay. I'll get it eventually. Probably when I go back to the U.S. (laughs) And then no one will know what I'm saying anyway, so. (laughs) So the word authority is related to the word author. Authority, author. They're they're closely related. In fact, both of them are rooted in very similar Latin words. Authority and author. These words are, they all relate to this idea of someone producing something, right? Someone producing, like a manufacturer. Somebody somebody making something. In English, the word author is, is typically used to describe someone who writes a book. They're the author of the book. They've made the book. Those are their words. They've, they've pieced this together. They took the time and the effort to create something in order to communicate something, right? So, But it's more than just that, though. An author is the creator of something. They're the originator of something, right? They've. They. It's theirs. They made it. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews two ten that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the author of our salvation, right? He's. He's the beginning. He's the first cause. I'm going to come back to that word cause in a second. He's the first cause. He's the source of our salvation now Hebrews 12 2 says the exact same thing Jesus is the author he's the producer he's the manufacturer he's the creator of our salvation right so none of you walked in this room and while we were you were singing none of you thought to yourself I'm so glad that I made my own salvation no one who truly knows the grace of God ever thinks that they're the author of it right because you don't make that. You don't create a new heart in your dead heart. Jesus does that by His Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. So He is the source of it. He's the author of it. He's the manufacturer of this thing. Now the word authority, as I mentioned, it's related to the word author. This is because a person who is in authority acts upon his rights as the author, the producer. Did you catch that? The person in authority is acting upon his right and responsibility as as the author. I'm going to say this twice so you can get it. An authority is a person who has the right to command something. An authority is the person who has a right to command something, to exercise dominion and rule over something. An authority is a person who has the right to command something. To exercise dominion and rule over something. To exercise dominion and rule over something and to do all of that under its own jurisdiction. An authority is a person who has the right to command something. To exercise dominion and rule over something. And to do all of that under its own jurisdiction, or his own jurisdiction, or her own jurisdiction, as it were. Now, you all know what I mean by jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is simply a word that sort of lays out the boundaries. Okay? So an authority only has, that person only has authority in a particular boundary. So on our way here, we drove past the United States embassy. And I'm about 7,000 miles from home. But what's neat is, is that's considered American soil, right? It's, it's an outpost of, of our nation, just like we have in Washington, DC, other embassies from other nations. There's jurisdiction. There's boundary. The, 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 I'll try to give you an example. Do I have the authority to tell my son to go to the store and steal something? Why not? My authority only has certain jurisdiction, right? Because now I've broken God's law, right? So all, who's the only person who has authority? What does Matthew 28 say? Jesus says it out of his own mouth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the only one that has ultimate authority. No man in this room has ultimate authority. Not me, not any of my friends and colleagues, not you. God has ultimate authority. So the author of a book has the jurisdiction, the authority to the, the appropriate boundaries to write the story however he sees fit. Does that make sense? they write the book however they want. Now apply this thinking to what we already see at the outset of, of the Bible, the very first verse in Holy Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that tell us about God? He's the author, right? He, the triune God of Scripture, this is authority. He has the right as the creator, as the author of creation, to do whatever he wants with that creation that's authority do you see what i'm do you see do you see it here in the text now at some point in history thousands of years ago there was a beginning right there was a beginning the the time space and matter All of that was introduced in the universe. God spoke, and notice he spoke, and out of nothing, the, the Latin phrase is ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God spoke, and then things were made that did not exist prior to that, right? So light was created. He said, let there be light. Light didn't exist, except for the glory of God, I would argue, but light in terms of the sun didn't exist, and, it, and there it was. Land was created, the sun, the moon, the stars. All of it was made, and all of it was made on God's six-day timetable. There, there, was, a, there was a point in time, a fixed date. It's on the calendar where God, the author, gave us a beginning, gave us a, a start. And as we see in the text, this author, he had authority to create The heavens and the earth. That word create in in Hebrew is bara. Mm -hmm. And it means out of nothing. Mm -hmm. David in Psalm 51 cries out, created me a clean heart. What is he saying? My heart's dead. It's nothing. I need a new heart. That's repentance. You need a new heart. If If you could repent and believe with your dead heart, why would you need a new heart? You can't. That's why you need it. So this is what I'm calling creational authority. You see why I called it that. It's the creation story. It's about God's authority. It is creational authority. And this is the type of authority that only comes from the triune God. Now, this is also the very first point to be made with regard to understanding God's covenant. God is the transcendent sovereign Transcendent is a word that simply means he's other, he's higher, he's other than his creation, he's, and sovereign, you know what a sovereign is, someone who who has authority, someone who has jurisdiction, we talk about like, for example, Zambia is its own sovereign country, right, the United States his own sovereign country. Uh, Sovereign is simply this idea of of its own set of authority that's wrapped up in what it is. So God is the sovereign. He's the transcendent sovereign. He is the supreme being. He's the head of all things. The Bible teaches that he is the supreme authority of all the universe, right? He has unending authority, to, to transact any covenant um, with, with his creation and with man. God imposes his covenant on creation. His covenants are imposed on creation because he is the author and he has authority to do it. This is real power. Come on. The power to say, what if man could do that? I've wondered that sometimes if you could just say it and then it appears like I would like a pizza and then it's there. Now, I know the human heart well enough to know that we would mess that up really fast. We would not do well with that type of power. But God is not sinful and he's not unstable like us. (laughs) So he can do that. So any, any understanding of God's covenant, God's authority, has to start with this foundation. Now, th- this, is, this has massive implications, doesn't it? There are consequences to this reality in the Bible. Now, I always say that's the most dangerous verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. If that's true, and it is, everything else that follows, Jesus walking on water, Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves, That's nothing. That's easy. Jesus didn't have to work really hard to do that. He didn't even have to stop and and pray for six days to come up with that. That's easy. Why is it easy? Well, God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. That's power. (laughs) Think about it. Now, one of the implications is this. Jehovah God is not a local deity. Jehovah God is not a local deity. The the Bible doesn't speak of of Jesus simply being your personal Lord and Savior. That's what the Americans have, have sent around the world. Just ask Jesus into your heart, be nice to people, and you're good. Is that Genesis 1-1? The, the Bible doesn't teach that you just need to accept Jesus into your heart. What does the Bible teach? It speaks of Jesus as being the universal Lord and Savior. What did we talk about yesterday, Bishop? Lord and Christ. And that when we come to Him in repentance, the question isn't if you will accept Him, but will He accept you? You, are, you do not have the upper hand here. And, and Jesus isn't in heaven now worrying himself to death, you know, hand-wringing in nervousness. Oh, I wonder if, if anybody is going to accept me today. He's, no way, that's not what he's doing. He's the king of glory. He doesn't, he doesn't worry at all. He's not concerned about tomorrow. He bows to no man, and no man gives him authority. Please understand this. The Bible asserts from the very beginning of the entire biblical story that God is not some localized deity where a bunch of men and women cooked up this idea of a God and they worshiped this false God. That is not Jehovah. That is not our God. That is not the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's not the type of, of God that we get to invent in our imaginations. In our fantasies, this God exists completely outside your will and my will. No one said amen. amen. <laughs> this God exists outside of your will and my will. Amen. We don't determine that. His, his existence is what we call self authenticating, it's, it's self evident. Authentication connected to author. He's the author. It's self-authenticating. God needs no one to stamp his passport. He owns the whole thing. He he doesn't need a passport to get from one country to the next. It's his country. He's the king. So no one gives him permission to exist. And that also means that God cannot and will not be controlled or counseled. Right? The Greeks and the Romans, they wanted a God, and they had many of gods, and they wanted a God, though, that, that, um, who they could manipulate, who they could control. That's what they wanted. The, the gods of the pantheon were gods that they had on their terms, God that they controlled, a God that, that, that didn't mess with their agenda, that didn't mess with what they wanted to do. And what became increasingly frustrating, a uh, uh, frustrating experience for, for Rome, was that Christians would not allow Jesus to be controlled. You can't control him. None of you said, Jesus, come out of the tomb. In fact, um, the Romans, or the Christians rather, they were so bold as to say that Jesus has the authority to tell Caesar what to do. He's the big boss man. So we'll come back to this in other messages. So from cover to cover, the Bible asserts and declares God's creational authority. Listen to Job chapter 12, verse 10. Write that down. Job chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Mm. Acts 17, 28. Acts 17, 28 says that in Him we live and move and exist. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says over over and over and over and over and over and over again, the triune God has creational authority. It all starts with Him. He's the author of the entire thing. Stated another way, God is the source of all things. Now what do I mean by source? As creator, God is the source. He's the origin. He's the starting point. He's the fountainhead of all things. Authority, power, grace, law, ethics, purpose, meaning. All of that is His. It begins with Him. He's the source of it. And we... You ever wondered this? So... Uh, Umunandi in the orange. Was that good? That's friend, right? I didn't say something bad, I hope. So your shirt is the color orange, right? Everyone agrees with that. Why is it the color orange? God created the colors. Right? Now, orange is just an English word, right? I mean, there's a whole complex history of word usage, but we all know what we mean when that we say his shirt is orange. But colors, oxygen that we breathe, rain that falls. God as the creational authority imputes that meaning. He gives that meaning. He, he tells the sun what to do. the SUN the sun in the sky. That's meaning. That's the source. So when we say that in the beginning God created, we are affirming that all things have their meaning and purpose in God. Everything's in him. So God is the source of of imputation. He he imputes meaning. He, He gives meaning and grants meaning to certain things. Gravity is and does what it does because God says that's what it should do. Now, you can only make sense of everything in the world. Remember the definition I told you for worldview? You have it written down. we We discern things in the world and everything in the world. The only way you can make sense of everything in the world, I don't care what it is, politics, education, government, you name it, any area of life that you can think of, you can't make sense of it unless you start with God. Now, sources of the utmost importance. If the triune God, by and through His sovereign and righteous acts of decree, created everything, then it follows that all things are derived, they come from God's actions. So they're, that means they're completely dependent on Him. Which one of you, last night, made sure that your heart kept beating? No. No. You, you didn't go to sleep and say, okay, let's have a conversation, heart. My body needs blood, and I need you especially to pump that blood to my brain. And my toes, I, would like, I like my toes, so I'd like to keep my toes. So I need blood to go, you know. Nobody has that authority to tell your heart to keep beating, So everything is dependent upon him, everything is entirely subject to his government, his rule, and his predestination. Let me say that one more time, and you don't have to write all this down, I guess, if you want to hit some words, but if if the triune God, by and through his sovereign and righteous acts, created everything, then it follows that all things that are derived from his actions are completely dependent on him and not just dependent on him, completely and entirely subject to his government. Your heart beats because God said it should beat. Now, let me, let me say this another way, because I want, I want you to understand this. If God truly possesses creational authority, everything was made from nothing, right? And this is true, and we believe it, and you all have agreed and said Amen. If that is true, then it logically follows that all things, material or immaterial, whether that's the shirt on your back or the thoughts that you think, all of those things are subject to God's authority, all of it, laws of logic. You've heard of the law of non-contradiction, right? I am standing in this building. I cannot say that I am not standing in this building. That's a contradiction. But those are laws of logic that come from our brains, right? We, you can't go to the pick and pay, right? That's the name of it. I love that store. They have good chocolate cookies there. You go there and you can't buy a, well, I'm, I'm, a liter. You can't get a liter of logic. Right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not over there by the orange juice. A liter of logic. That's, that's immaterial. That's, that is not something that we can touch or smell. God, everything is, is subject to his authority. Now, basic to Christian theology is the fact that God is the creator, and not only is he the creator, but he's the sustainer. He's the sustainer. So God didn't, he didn't simply create the world and everything in the world and then sort of just walk away from it and leave us alone for us to just fend for ourselves. This is the false God of deism. This is not the one true God of the Bible. God made it all. God ensures that all of it does what he wants it to do. In other words, God has the type of creational authority that governs, that rules, and that even meticulously predestines all things for his glory. To use Paul's analogy in the book of Romans... He is the potter, we are the clay, right? The clay does not go back to the potter and complain. Why did you make me a cup? I wanted to be a bowl. No, that doesn't happen. So do you see why it matters that we understand creational authority? The fact that all things find their source, their beginning in God. And this is, where, this is, this is basic to covenant theology. And here's the thing, a faith and trust in the creator God who made all things in six days, a faith and trust in the creator God who made all things in six days will then lead us to a a regarding of all powers other than God as being entirely derivative or completely limited and confined by God's authority. I want to try to say that several different ways. If we if we trust in God in the creator who made everything, that should then lead us to regard everything we see in this world. I don't care if it's the president of the United States, the president of Russia or Zambia. We look at everything in this world as limited and confined in terms of authority by God. Now, God has given us ample resources, amen? He's given us this world, and we've only even scratched the surface. Zambia, United States, any country in Africa has so much potential. God has given us a world full of so much that we have now the ability, and we are commanded to do this, to work and keep. We're supposed to turn Zambia into a garden world. That's what Adam and Eve were supposed to do, right? That's the dominion mandate. We're supposed to be fruitful, multiply. Make. Some of you in here need to start making businesses. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. You have an idea. You need to figure out a way to make it happen. And don't just wait on it to happen. I, I just started a business back in, in America. And I haven't made a dollar. I, in fact, I keep losing money buying things right and growing it but one thing I know I can't just sit at home and complain (laughs) I can't I have to go out and bug people to buy my product you have to get out there you have to do it you have to grow it you have to make it but everything in this world is is completely derived from God So it's subject to his sovereign authority and his rule. Now, when you affirm that God is the creator, that he sustains this world, that he governs this world, that he's the author of this world, and he controls every single atom and every single molecule in this world, you must, by a necessary consequence, see everything in the world as being confined by his authority. I'm going to get upset here, Brother Ron. Because we know we've lamented this, and Pastor Joel here, in America, usually we think that Jesus is Lord over our little hearts, and that's it. We think he's we think he's Lord over the church, but he doesn't have much to say to government rulers. He doesn't have much to say about economics. He doesn't have much to say about what it means to to have just measures and weights in your currency. You know, God just doesn't have much to say. Makes me angry to think about that. What a belittling of God's authority. So if you believe that, if you believe that God is the creator, then you must, by a necessary consequence, believe that everything in this world is subject to him. Everything. And this, this means that no mere mortal has this unending jurisdiction and authority. If you want to be a man of the house, be a man of the house that serves his family. Don't walk around like you're the king of Zambia. And we have something to say to the king of Zambia, too. We pray for him, we want him to rule justly. But he's not in your home telling your kids what to do, you are. You have that limited authority. He has his limited authority. God has unending authority. So every human authority is completely derivative in nature. The state is not God. The civil magistrate does not possess creational authority. The man of the house does not have free reign to do whatever he wants. All men must bow before King Jesus and they must obey him. No one, no one, no one on this created planet gets to just do whatever they want to do. They might be self-deceived and they think they can do whatever they want to do, but they cannot actually achieve it. They are not omniscient. They don't know everything. The state is not omniscient. No pastor knows everything. No government official ha- is worthy of unrestricted obedience to his own will. Authority, all authority is conditional and it's conditioned on whether or not it obeys God. Which means that any rejection of God's created order, a rejection of the doctrine of creation, is also a rejection of God's predestination. And this means that history is no longer the outworking of God's providence and grace. It's the outworking of the will of men in their autonomous lusts. Do you remember what I told you earlier? How many worldviews are there? There are two. And we will either do this God's way or we will do it man's way. And man's way means that he lusts after everything and anything. Sexuality, power, control of others. That's man's way. That's the fruit of naturalistic evolution, what we call Darwinianism. It's still a major problem in America. People actually think that we evolved from apes and that humans are nothing more than highly evolved bags of meat and protoplasm. There are scholars and theologians in all of our state universities that believe this nonsense. A creator, God, ha, no way. Why do they reject the creational authority of God? Because they want to do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. They want to sin. They want to rebel against God. They don't don't want God's authority. They don't want God's predestination. They want their own. So when we reject God's creational authority, then there is no purpose for man. Everything's based on chance. Order in a society becomes chaos. And when you reject God, that spills over into society. And then you have a culture that is completely rebellious towards the things of God. It's what's happening in America, South Africa. It's happening all over the place. People who would rather do their own thing than obey Christ Jesus. And so you don't, in those types of places, you don't have law and order. You have lawlessness and chaos. That's why Genesis 1.1 is so foundational. And here's the thing, we don't live in a world of brute facts and random chances. Brute factuality is this this idea, it's a figment of our imagination that there are just things that are and it's only that way because it is, right? Facts without meaning. Who cares about gravity? Who, Who cares about laws of logic? We can be completely illogical. In America, we think that if you're a man, you can become a woman. That's how stupid we are. If you, you know, you don't want to live in a world like that. You don't want to live in a world where, you know, logic doesn't matter. Marriage is nothing. It's an institution created by the traditions of men, so we can just destroy it. You don't want to live in a world like that. We kill, we, we, we murder 3,500 babies in the womb every year or every day in America. Every day. That's just what we know about. You can go into a grocery store and buy a pill and kill your child. We don't know about those. Happens all the time. No one wants to live in that world. Meaning and purpose is something that is governed by God. And God is the authority. He is the creational authority. And He has given us delegated authority, right? Self government is the foundation. The most important thing you all could do with this week is come to grips with the fact that you are responsible for you. You are the only person. You can't control your wife, your husband, your friend. You have to have self-government. You have to decide that I'm going to live my life in a way that honors God with my time, with my money, with every single thing. We have family government, church government, state government. You're going to hear a whole lot about that type of stuff this week. And all that can either be overemphasized or it can be underemphasized. But, the, but there are institutions that God has put in place, and it has authority because those institutions have authority only because God has authority. And they must submit to God's word. I am almost finished. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not submit to God's word. Do you understand? Amen that. Amen. No, There's no such thing as a Christian who does not submit to the Word of God. There is no such thing as a church that does not submit to the Word of God. There is no such thing as a state that does not submit to the Word of God. Now that stuff happens. We have people that try to do that for sure. Right now my nation is not a nation that wants to submit to God's Word. But but this folly, God, God will deal with the folly but that's a category that's outside the bounds of Scripture. You, can't make, you cannot be a Christian, show up on a Sunday morning, and then go and dance yourselves to, into to oblivion to your ancestors. It's false worship. Here's what happens in America. It's Saturday night. Let's go out and drink ourselves into a stupor, and then Sunday we'll go to church and God will just forgive us. Does God forgive sin? He does does God allow that forgiveness then to perpetuate itself into us doing whatever we want no he will shut that down in a second I want to talk one one last thing important to God's creational authority that is the image of God the image of God that's in man we just asserted the truth that God's word has authority and at creation, God has given us the, the, the knowledge of his authorship, that he owns it all. Everything's derived from him. So he has authority. He has jurisdiction. But what's interesting is all of this is connected to the image of God, the imago Dei. God created Adam and Eve. He created a male and female in his glorious image. And what does that mean to be made in the image of God? Here's what it means. Man is responsible to God. You're going to want to write this down. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because many people do not know this. Many people in churches in America do not know what this means. The image of God. One, he's responsible to God. Two, he is under the law of God. He's responsible to God. And by man, I mean women, all persons, children. He's responsible... To God, he's under the law of God, and thus he is under God's creational authority. Because man is created by God and made in his image, man is under God's authority, and thus he is under God's law word. And here's the thing. None of you are the source of this law. Man is not the source of law. Any time you have, for example, a civil government try to create this figment of imagination, these laws out of thin air that say, well, you can kill a child, but only under these circumstances. That is man's law. Man is not the source of law. And let me tell you, any breakdown in any culture, any society, I don't care where you're at in the world, Any breakdown stems from this this idea that man is the source of law. And this is why whenever we reject the creational authority of God, what do we do? We embrace tyranny. I don't care what realm it is. Tyranny in the home, in churches, and in civil government. A man who cannot and will not govern himself will gladly find someone else to give him the security. Did you hear me? A man or a woman who will not govern himself will gladly find someone else, will gladly find a tyrant to give him security. And so we must journey back to the beginning. We must go back to the source. We must start at the foundation of God's creational authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that you are on the throne and that we are not invited to take your place. I pray that the words that have just been spoken would be honorable to you and impactful for all of us, including me. God, I pray for the rest of this this conference, this school, this training, that, that you would help us have understanding of your word so that we can impact the world around us like we are told to do as we have said, in Zambia as it is in heaven. That's what we want. So we ask all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.